0: We're going to listen to God's word from 1 Peter 1 for those of you at home you might want to open your bibles and have it ready there 1 Peter 1 from verses 3 to 9 uh, and Sarah will come and read that for us now
1: so reading is from 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 9 You do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank
0: you, thank you, Sarah. Um, and uh, let me just pray for us, and then uh, we will try and make sense of this glorious passage of God's Word, Father in heaven we thank you for uh, 1 Peter 1 verse 3 to 9 we thank you father that it is bursting with truth that uh, that if we were only able to understand a tenth of what we've just heard it would transform our lives we pray that you will do that this morning that we will not just understand a tenth of this but that we will come to a fuller and fuller understanding of all that you've done for us in your Son, and that we will have a sort of joy that will be punctuated with exclamation marks throughout our lives, in spite of severe trials that we often face. So please come, Father. Give us this joy that the Apostle has. Give us this joy that is rooted and grounded in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray that you'll now speak to us from your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, Uh, I'm sorry that I'm now filling your entire television screen uh, screen at home Um, uh, That it's many people have got a face for radio So I think uh, I'm sorry about that, but now we get into this passage and I would love for you to see uh, More clearly what these verses teach us and I will only scratch the surface this this morning There's so much in here, and I hope that as we read through uh, Peter's letter we will start to see how he fleshes out the things that he's just highlighting this morning. That has been his strategy, by the way. So last week we've looked at verses 1 and 2. Very slow going, just those first two verses. And he already there gave us headings. Headings, almost earmarking something that we will later unpack. Today he's unpacking one of those things, but let me just quickly take you back to what we've done last week. The phrase that you heard last week was, we are elect exiles, elect exiles. Elect exiles has this tension to it. Elect chosen. So a Christian is someone whose identity is secure because he knows he's known by God. He's foreloved by God. And yet he's an exile, a cultural exile. He feels out of place, a resident alien in the world that we live in, often feeling a little bit adrift in the world that we live in. So that is just a normal Christian experience to feel well deeply secure in identity. I belong to God. Yet at the same time, deeply insecure because we, we don't fit in the world that we live in. And Peter says that was the case back in the first century for Christians, and it is the case for us today. And it's interesting, the commentaries seem to agree on this that Peter's letter was written in the early 60s after Christ, so 60 to 63 after Christ. Real persecution of Christians kicked off in 64 and 65 in Rome. So, so this is a letter that in many ways prepared them for trials that were to come. Trials that were to come. And that's my central question by introduction. How do you prepare for trials? How do you prepare best for difficulties? I trust the passage will teach us more of that this morning, but I can tell you what it looks like. I saw it yesterday. Uh, I followed uh, the funeral live stream of uh, what felt like a dear friend of mine, although he's never seen me in his entire life. For the last 10 years, I've been diligently following Tim Challies, who's a Christian blogger, challies.com, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S.com. I've been following him. And, um, and it came as a shock to me last, uh, uh, at the, at the, I think just at the turn of the month, when his blog post simply read my son, my dearly beloved son, has died and he's with the Lord. And that was the title with a very short description that there won't be any blog posts for a while as his son has passed away. The circumstances around it remained, uh, uh, remains mysterious. He, uh, not mysterious, just unexplained. He was playing a, a sports game with his friends at seminary. He's 20 years old uh, and they were just playing. And the next moment he collapsed and he died. And yesterday, as I looked at that father delivering an obituary for his own son, for whom he's had such high aspirations, such high hopes, I could see that this man has been well prepared for the suffering that he's now facing. He said, I've always known that death is real, and I always knew that we will all one day die. I just did not expect that it will be today. And how do you prepare for death if it comes to you today how do you prepare for trials if they come to you today hmm. you should have you should have by then have put away some winter store of dry wood that you can burn on the altar of your heart to keep warmth going and that's what this passage is all about Peter is telling us how to prepare for the winter how to prepare for the hard times not on the day when they happen but in the days preceding the moment that they happened And so that's what we want to unpack today. How can you have this ballast of joy in your heart so that when trials come, your ship doesn't roll over and sink? It seems to us that uh, the apostle teaches us two principles, and that will be the two main points of my sermon this morning. The first one is faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus prepares you for unspeakable joy. Ruben, you've got those two points. Faith in Jesus prepares you for unspeakable joy in Jesus. So first, let's talk about faith in Jesus. Um, No, let me first explain why do I choose this phrase. Faith in Jesus leads to unspeakable joy. You've got to look back to verse 9 of the chapter that we just read, and you'll see how those two things come together. The last sentence says this though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, so the faith precedes what? Precedes the salvation, the salvation of your souls, but it is rooted in joy. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. How can you have this joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory? It starts with faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus. So let's unpack faith in Jesus. What sort of faith in Jesus will lead to an unshakable joy? What sort of faith will lead to this unspeakable joy? Uh, And you can see, uh, if you now scan back to verse 3, you can see the apostle unpacking what sort of faith will lead to unshakable joy what sort of faith in jesus and this is what he says in verse three according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead so that's where we're going to drill in what sort of faith will give me an unshakable joy faith in the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead that is what will give me this joy Why is this so important this faith in the resurrection of jesus why is this so important to peter the apostle why would he later say that faith in the resurrection of jesus christ is now his living hope not a dying hope he's living hope why would he say this is his hope now the faith faith in the resurrection of jesus christ we need to understand something of peter's life if we were to make sense of this phrase or this focus now rachel reuben uh rachel peter was an apostle of jesus christ he was one of the disciples that were with 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 jesus Uh, eye and ear witness of all that jesus had done Uh, and what peter saw towards the end of jesus's life he saw that jesus was heading towards jerusalem where he was going to be killed Uh, and and he did not want jesus we learned that in 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 mark's gospel he wanted to stop jesus from going to jerusalem but then finally when jesus gets to jerusalem uh, he is arrested in the middle of the night, put before a mock trial uh, and, uh, and, and deemed guiltlessly guilty uh, and, and, and proceeded to be crucified. Peter was warned by Jesus that he will deny him three times before the crow cries, crow crows. And uh, Peter vervently said he will not do it he will not he will not deny christ he will not betray christ he he, no 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 he would rather die and then when jesus is arrested three times during that evening peter denied christ now two things happened to peter when all of this took place he placed his hope in jesus as the messiah the promised messiah and his hope for this jesus was that he will bring righteousness from on high and that their enemies will be smited and that the Jewish, the Israel people would once again stand up and be a mighty nation and God would rule through Israel and they would be his co-leaders in this new takeover. And that as Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem to be killed, that Friday afternoon as Jesus died on the cross, Peter's hope died with Jesus. That's what happened to Peter. That evening as he went to bed Friday evening, he must have felt so empty and so lost because his hope has died that day on that cross. All of his hope for the future. But as if that was not enough, Peter also lost hope in himself. Jesus warned him, you will deny me three times. And then he proceeded to do it the last time, a little girl that accuses him, and he's in the middle of the night, and he says, no, I don't know him. He must have felt rotten to the core as he reflected on the events that took place on that Friday and that previous night, and he thinks, what, is, what, is, what have I done? He's hoping Jesus died, and he's hoping himself died that day. He knew all about dying hope. As they went into the Sabbath on that Saturday, I can imagine that Peter felt terrible. He felt horrendous. Now Peter tells us that the type of faith that gives you an unshakable joy starts in faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the dead. So go with me to the moment that Peter realized what just happened. It's in John 20. We read that... uh, Mary Magdalene, she came to the uh, tomb early that morning while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been taken away. So she ran and went and she spoke to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved, tells John, uh, it's John himself by the way, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, John, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, John, Outran Peter, who's probably younger, and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up, and in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Here's what I think what happened that morning is Peter feeling absolutely horrendous ran to the grave had this report from Mary Magdalene that someone has stolen his body ran to the tomb and they got there and John went in and as he went in he said this is some evidence here that I let the older Peter have a look he's. He'll know better what to do. And Peter comes in and he looks. What is it that Peter sees? He must have just looked quietly at what he saw in front of him. There's the linen cloths in which, in which he was wrapped. And as if a body has just moved through them, they were just lying there. And then as if deliberately and intentionally, the linen that was wrapped around his head and around his face was neatly folded and placed to the side. As he looked at this, this was no grave robber that came to strip it out in the middle of the night. This is no one that came to steal his body. This is nothing less than the body itself that was raised to new life. And as Peter looked at this, can you imagine the hope that he must have felt? That all that Jesus had promised is indeed true. And if there is hope that Jesus is alive, then there's hope for Peter who betrayed this Jesus. Can you imagine what happened to Peter? As he looked at this, he started to realize, but hang on, everything sad is about to become untrue. Everything that I lost hope in is about to be reversed. And so for Peter, if you want to have the unspeakable joy that Peter has, he says, go to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is where the joy is. Because that is where the joy was for him. What a relief he must have felt. And that, by the way, Make sense of the one unique Feature you see in our English translation In verse 3 How often do you see an exclamation mark in the Bible But there we go Blessed be the God and Father Of our Lord Jesus Christ You can hear Peter And the Greek puts it in the emphatic voice It is Peter that is Bursting with joy He's writing a letter to people who are being persecuted Who are facing a trial difficulty And he's bursting with joy Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. And Peter wants to unpack this for them. He has risen. Now, he explains to us that this resurrection of Jesus Christ has its start in what verse 3 tells us is the great mercy of God. Not just the mercy of God. The great mercy. The abundant mercy of God. It is an abundant mercy. There is plenty of mercy in God for any betraying friend that would deny the Son of God Himself. There is mercy in this God. You see the view that that Peter had of who this God is? is. that He is fundamentally merciful. That He is kind. That He is forgiving. That he is gracious. Whatever your view of God is, let that just sink in for a moment. Peter who met God, who walked with God, who experienced this mercy of God. If you ask him what is God like? He would put an exclamation mark after the phrase. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. Great mercy. He has caused me to be born again to a living hope. Not a dying hope not a dying hope and this is where it really becomes practical to all of us you see where do you put your hope where do you put your hope peter put his hope in a dying hope his hope was in a man a leader a messiah that will come and revive israel which in itself was a dying hope that will take over the ancient near east which in itself was a dying hope Uh, and, And oppose all of their enemies and grow all of this. And he put his faith in himself as a potential leader in this new kingdom. Himself being a dying hope. That was where he put his stock. That's where he put his hope. A dying hope. And then he experienced, he saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he gave birth to a living hope inside of him. A living hope. Now, the apostle Peter tells us that The only way that this living hope can come into your life, this living hope, which is faith in Jesus Christ's resurrection, which leads to the inexpressible joy that we're pursuing, this living hope starts with the merciful God, but what is it that the merciful God does in the middle? Resurrection, uh, new birth, new birth, you have to be born again. You see, these are the two impossibilities in the Christian world, in the Christian life, in the Christian theology. And I'd love to talk to you about that if you're not a Christian you're listening perhaps to this screen. It is true that the God that we worship is one who became man, who lived, who died, and then was raised again. That is what we believe in. And not only is that something we believe in, but we also believe that for anyone to believe in this God who was alive, died, and is alive again... You, who is alive, need to be born again. You need to be born again. The, the impossibility of these two truths should really have an impact on your heart and mind where you say, hang on, is it possible for a man to be born again? No. As little as a, as a baby inside a mother's womb has to do with his own birth, so little do I have to do with my own new birth. You see, you can't Cause yourself to be born again. It has to be done to you. Your birth has to be acted upon you. It has to come from outside of you. You can't look inside and generate the rebirth from inside. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. He asks his very question in John 2. And Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Can you hear what, what uh, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus? He says to him, unless you are born again, you can't get into the kingdom. Ge- you must be born again. You must be born again to get into the kingdom. Ge- but you can't. But you can't. You can see Nicodemus throwing his arms saying, But how can I be born? You, you must, but you can't. Now, that's the gospel. You must be born again, but you can't. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, born from above. It is God, His Spirit, that causes a man that is dead in his sin and transgression to be born again. This is where this living hope comes from. This is where the rebirth starts. And because it starts with God, it's also safe with God, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, this living hope that we have is not a dying hope. Every other dying hope that you might have will slowly lose its luster, will lose its shine, will lose its attractiveness, will lose its its attraction. But this hope, this living hope, Becomes more beautiful as you walk with it. Imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. For for as long as I walk as a Christian, the beauty of the gospel just becomes more glorious, not less. It's a complete opposition to everything else. I was infatuated the first time I could pick up a smartphone and I could touch it. Wow. Now they're ubiquitous. They've lost all their glory. It's like nothing. The first time I was able to drive a car, I felt free now I'm over it the first time I was able to get my keys to the first house or room that we rented wow our own space you can slam the door shut. it's fading all of these glorious things that you devote your life to to getting to gathering to protecting to preserving they, they slowly fade but the one thing that's completely the opposite is the beauty of the gospel shines just more brightly the more we look into it the more we look at it And this is what the Apostle Peter wants us to see. He says, I want you to have this unspeakable joy. But it starts with the merciful God that gives the rebirth, that gives faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is its foundation. Now, point two. Deep, unshakable joy. Deep, unshakable joy. Uh, uh, Stefan had surgery, unfortunately, on on Friday. uh, Teeth surgery. And... It, it was it was awful. He's he's recovering at home, general aesthetic and all of that. Uh, we were quite shocked. Uh, I was quite shocked by it. It sort of was real wake up call of how fragile we all are. He was one moment completely sprightly and right here, and as they squeeze the anaesthetic into me, he just whoop, he's gone. And I think,
1: whew.
0: you know, his mouth is swollen up at the moment. um So do pray for the man. But. um but it gave him some time to find nice sermon illustrations on youtube for me and that's that's really what i wanted to share with you he showed me this one video clip and um and stefan if you're listening send me just the link of the man what's he, what his name is but um it's, it's quite funny he's he's doing everything it's it's the the strap line is what if you did everything you do uh, by sprinting and so you see this guy just sitting on the sofa watching television and then he jumps up and he runs to the television and he puts it on and he runs back and he sits there. He just sits there. He gets a glass of water and he sprints to the kitchen and he opens the kitchen, puts on glass, runs back and he sits. Everything he does, he does sprinting. Sprints up to the stairs, sprints into the loo, sprints through the bath, sprints every, everywhere he goes. It's, you know, it's, it's quite addictive as you just watch this man doing all of these things in that posture. The next one was, what if everything you did, you did aggressively? sits at the sofa, gets up, he walks through the television, puts it off, goes back, sits down, goes to the kitchen, he stomps to the kitchen, flings the fridge door open, everything rattles, takes a bottle of water, he pours it into his glass, he throws it into his face, he stomps back to him. What Peter is saying to us, unspeakable joy, unspeakable joy should mark everything that you do. I saw something of that yesterday as I looked at Tim Chalice deliver the eulogy of his son. I could see he was torn apart by what he was saying, not for what he's experienced with his son over the 20 brief years of his life, but the sadness about what he won't experience through his son's life lying ahead. And as he and his wife Aileen spoke, I found myself fighting tears, thinking we are all like dust one day we're here like grass the next day we're gone wither and fade we are dying hopes to one another our children our parents they're dying hopes to us if we're going to make them our hopes but I could see in Tim Challies not only the deep sadness of what could have been but I could see an undercurrent of confident joy in the Lord couldn't stop him from preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is where his hope is. As he thinks about his own future, he said, "Dad has to go on living without knowing what would have happened to his son who was three months engaged to his to his fiance." And he think, "What what would have ended up?" He had a real desire to move back to Canada to plant churches there, uh, and so they a desperately need church planting to place in Canada. And and and. I look at that I think I wish we could have a Nick Chalice there that would do what his father set him up to do but in spite of all of this you could hear this undercurrent of joy unshakable joy even in the midst of his deepest trial you can read about that joy as you look at verse 6 it's Paul of Peter that writes he says in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials He gives a reason for that, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He he reminds us that between the bookends of rejoice and joy, there is the testing, the testing of our faith. Says this testing has a purpose. Your trials has a purpose. Nothing is wasted. Every difficult thing you've ever experienced, it's all useful and used by God for this purpose. But, but what the point of it all is, is that you will end up rejoicing in God. That is what Peter is saying. He goes back to his trial of denying Jesus through his betrayal. He goes back through the trial of what it means to be an apostle for Jesus Christ uh, and suffering because he is associated with this Jesus. Jesus. And he says, In this I rejoice. I rejoice. And he ends by saying, All of my suffering will have this result, that it will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. His whole life is wrapped around the joy and the rejoicing in the Lord and for the Lord. That's what, the, what Peter is all about. That's why there's an exclamation mark after the first line that he gives us in verse 3. His whole life is an exclamation mark. He lives. For this God. It's John Piper that says, I love the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not because they turn my life into a string of successes. But because they keep me from collapsing under a string of failures. See, here's the problem. If we make other things our hope in this world we will sometimes face severe trials when I've pursued something that will be my hope in this world and then it starts to fade and it dies in my life the bottom of my life falls out or you'll pursue something that is your hope and it will become it will shine more and more as you pursue it and you will come closer and closer to your goal and it would look so promising that you will feel that is a worthwhile hope that can actually Sustain all my desires. I'm pursuing this. This is a good thing and all of the culture that I am see this is good I should pursue this and Then when that it also starts to fade uh, You you lose you lose the grounding you lose the foundation to your life And uh, Peter John Piper's just says I love the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ not because they turn my life into a string of successes not because this is sort of the secret source that gives me wealth, health, and prosperity. And if you say, well, that's definitely not me, let me just turn the inverse on you. How many times do you say under your breath when you experience something difficult? Oh, not me again. You know, I always get it. I'm always the one suffering. This, I can't believe God does this to me. It's again this. Is that not the exact same thing? Where you've put your hope in success i follow jesus i put my faith in jesus so that i can have a successful quiet life and then when it doesn't happen when trials come we throw our arms in the air john piper says no i love the death of uh, resurrection of jesus christ because they keep me from collapsing under a string of failures that's what peter experienced He experienced that I need a living hope because I walk around with dying in me and I produce false gods that are all dying around me and I'm prone prone to put my faith in these false gods and as they die, I die and I'm in a constant state of despair. And then John Piper said, I love the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love it because it keeps me from collapsing under my failures. So where do we find This joy, and with this I want to close. Where do we find this unspeakable joy? You'd say to me, Kruger, I've seen your logic. Your logic is simple. It's the mercy of God that causes the resurrection, of the the new birth. The new birth focuses its faith on Jesus Christ's resurrection, and that leads to this unspeakable joy. That's perfect logic, by the way. And it is unspeakable, unshakable joy, because the worst thing that can happen to you in this world is you can die. And the focus of your faith is in the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is alive. So it is a a joy that is secure because the end result of it is is life. Life, not death. But how do I how do I get it? So I am a Christian and I I profess Jesus and I listen to all of this, but I don't have the joy. What, What am I doing wrong? I believe I've been reborn. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in his resurrection believe God is merciful but I don't have this inexpressible joy this unshakable joy I think the problem is that we are looking to the wrong place in order to get this whole string of assurances here's what I mean with that Peter where did he go to have his, the start of his rebirth the whole Saturday, I think, he was looking in and he was feeling horrendous and terrible and awful. And the more he looked them less hope he had because Jesus still was dead. And the more he looked inside of him, he was still the betrayer and the denier and he can't change that. He will have to live with it. for. That's, the more he looked inside, the more he saw his own emptiness. And that Sunday morning, he ran with John to the grave. And when he looked into the empty grave, That's when his rebirth started. That's when his hope started. So, I want to say to you, Christian, if you are living a joyless life, if you know all that is true, and you say, tick, 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 yeah, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that, but but yet there is not this deep undercurrent of joy in your life, look away from yourself. Don't try and find it in you somewhere. Oh, I've just got to believe more. Go look at the empty grave. Take yourself away from yourself and go look at the empty grave. It is Jesus, it is Jesus' resurrection that unleashes the, the power to sustain your own failures and your successes in this life. He is risen, He's no longer dead. Preach that to your own heart. I don't have a dying hope, I've got a living hope. My Redeemer lives as your fears come rushing towards you, as your doubts start to creep in on you. Don't look in. Christ is your hope of glory, says Colossians 1.27. Christ is your hope of glory. It's not in you. And, and I know we're introspective people and we're attentive to our own feelings, we're attentive to our own, our own emotions, but the Bible is pushing us out of ourselves and says, look away from yourself. And run to the empty grave. Go see for yourself. It's empty. There's nothing there. He he is risen. He wasn't stolen. Deliberately, he gave his life. He is risen. He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is preparing a place for you where you will one day go as you put your faith in him. You have to do what Noah and his family did in the time of the flood. They did not look at the ark and saw the rain clouds coming. ...and knocked on it and said, yeah, it looked like a solid boat, this one, yeah, very good, very nice. Saw so the animals get in, mm, okay, that might be a good... ...good luck, guys, and walk off. It's, it's one, it's, it's, it's good that you're positive about Christianity. If you're not a Christian, you think Christianity is a good thing. It's, I'm glad that you think it's a good thing. But it's of no use to you if you stay outside of the ark. You, you can't stay outside of Jesus in order to face the judgment of God. You've got to go in through the one door that the ark has... And you've got to come in and close the door behind you. Christ is your salvation. It is Him that when the flood waves came, that floated, that was lifted up. Even the judgment itself lifted Christ up, that He was floating above it all. He was raised to new life, so that we can have this assurance that as we are hidden away with Christ in God, we are unshakable, unmovable imperishable undefiled unfading forever and ever is this not reason to be full of joy is this not reason to have exclamation marks exclamation mark exclamation mark after the emotions in our heart yes we can carry with both emotions i saw them yesterday at this at this funeral he's sad but he's glad he's broken but he's healed his son is dead but he's alive Pray that we will have this undercurrent of joy in spite of our trials let me pray for us Our father in heaven we face trials of many kinds and uh, we know that our trials when they come to us they can disorientate us they can disorientate us in our relationship with you and with ourselves we can be disappointed when bad things happen to us we can be disappointed in you And we are often so disappointed in ourselves. But this passage reminds us that we do not have a dying hope. Our hope is not in a nationality, in a nation, in a city, in a community, or even in a church, church building. Our hope is not a dying hope. Our hope is a living hope. And you have been risen. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. You have triumphed over death. And because you have triumphed, we know we too will live. As we find our hope, try and find our hope in and ourselves, we ask, Father, that you will enable us to look away from ourselves, to not look in. Try and find hope somewhere in the tool bag of our own hearts and souls with all of its rusty old wrenches that can no longer work and and break and crumble in our hands. There's nothing in here that can save us. We need to be born again. And if we've been born again, we need to see that we've been born again. We started in the spirit. Let us not continue in the flesh, Father. But please, we entrust ourselves to you. We ask that you will cause us to look away and look into the grave, look into the empty grave, to see the risen Lord Jesus now seated at your right hand. Father, we ask that as we come to the Lord's Supper now, you will cause us to look away from ourselves and we look to the signs and seals of the new covenant. And we will be reminded that there is for us a salvation more real than Noah's Ark was. For here is a spiritual salvation that cannot be shaken. So please come uh, and strengthen us now we pray. In Jesus name. Amen.